You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. So a few years ago, my family and I, we went to Disney and our tradition is on the last night that we're there, we go to the Boardwalk Resort. We don't stay there, but behind the Boardwalk, if you're not aware, they have this little uh, walkway, I guess an actual Boardwalk, I guess is what you call it, and they have like these Coney Island type games where you can win prizes, and being the competitive person that I am, uh, I walked up, there's this basketball game, I put five bucks down, and you get seven shots, and you can... Uh, if you make one shot, you win a little basketball, two, you win a large basketball, and then whatever. So I made four of the seven shots. So anyway, I, I wasn't expecting that. I just wanted you to know I have some game. And uh, so my daughter Livy wanted this large princess basketball, which I got for her. And then uh, Mia and Xander, my other two kids, uh, they wanted a volleyball, so I got that. So it was great. Then we went over to this other game. Uh, where it had, they had these, if you've been there, you know, they, they're like these rubber type lobsters and you hit this little launcher sort of in, into like this spinning, I don't know what it is, but it has like these little pots and then the, the thing is spinning. So if you put the lobster in the pot, then you win something. And so my, all I had to do, they gave us 12 lobsters. Uh, I put, I think it was 10 bucks. I put 10 bucks down and all I got to do is put two lobsters in and then Livy wanted to win this, uh, ninja penguin. So I'm like, okay. Now, truth be told, if I wanted to order this ninja penguin on Amazon, I probably could have done it for like a dollar, but that's just not the way this game is played. So they, give, they have these hammers, so I channel my inner Thor, and I'm going to hit it. Some people say we look alike. And uh, the person who laughed the loudest was my wife, and, uh, which I do find slightly offensive. And, uh, but you guys laughed a little too loud at that joke, by the way, so just throwing that out there. But anyway, uh, so... I get 12 of these lobsters, I hit the thing with the hammer, I strike out on all 12. I put five more bucks down because I'm not failing in front of my kids. So uh, I, five more, I fail on all five. Then my daughter Mia says, well, can I try? And I'm like, you know what, whatever. I put five more dollars down. We're 20 bucks in, FYI, people. And uh, so... I, uh, and I'm like, whatever, the kids can try. So Mia tries one, Livy tries one. Xander puts one in on the second try. And I find that a little frustrating because I have tried about 20 at this point to no avail. He puts one in on a second try and he says, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Livy because she wants the ninja penguin. So, but the kid who's behind the counter, he keeps kind of feeding us these like more lobsters. Oh, look here, you have two more. And so we, they just keep trying and then eventually, about 15 minutes into this, the kid says, look, I see two lobsters in the pot. And my wife is like, no, no, no. Xander only got one in. And I'm like, woman, God is doing something here. Let's let this thing play out. So it's like your honesty is going to cause problems. And so anyway, so he says, well, I see two. And so he gives Livy the ninja penguin. Then he gives Xander a ninja penguin, and then he gives my daughter Mia uh, a little thing as well, which once again, if we were on Amazon, all probably could, would have cost me under $3, but 
But once again, so, and then Livy says, uh, what's your name? And he says, my name is Noah. She says, then I will name my penguin Noah. And this is a picture of Livy with the penguin. That is the ninja penguin and, and Livy. She was a little younger back then. And uh, now, my kids were proclaiming it a Disney miracle. And now, it's not a Disney miracle. There's really only one miracle that happens at Disney. It's more of a magic trick. That is, you show up with money, and they go like this, and it all disappears. And it happens every time anyone goes. So anyway, that's the, that's the trick. But, so, but really, it was an issue of priority. And that is, we just weren't going uh, to change our focus. We weren't going to give up. And thankfully, Noah was, was in it with us too. And so, but this is the thing about priorities in general, is that if, you just, if something is important enough to you, you will find a way to make it happen. Because that priority is going to take precedence over anything else. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves as Christians living in the 21st century is this. And that is, what should my priority be? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a cause for just about everything. I mean, like, every day I see ads and people talking about it. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that, they, that just became a thing, you know. But it's like, there's a cause, there's, there's something out there. Now, so what should our cause be as, as Christians? I mean, now the cool thing is, Jesus didn't leave that to chance for us. In fact, he made it very clear, and you'll see it up on the screen in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, let me explain what that means, that for a Christian, God and his kingdom come first, and that everything else is second in priority. In fact, and that's not something that Jesus just kind of pulled out of a hat. That, was, that came from a long understanding from ancient times until this day. A Jew wakes up in the morning making this affirmation, goes to bed making the same affirmation, quoting a specific passage from the Torah where he said, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter six, he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, once again, why do I bring all of this up? Because you and I are faced with the opportunity to change our priorities on an almost hourly basis. You see, we can decide to make ourselves the priority, and that's a big thing, focusing on yourself. You can make your career a priority. That's a big thing. We can make our kids a priority, right? These are things that people talk about all the time. Like, right, this is what I'm going to make a priority. But here's the counterintuitive thing that I want to tell you and that I want to spend some time talking about today in our time together. And that is this, that if you will make God and his kingdom your priority, do you know that it's going to go better for your career? That it's going to go better for your family? That it's going to go better even in your own goals personally? And when we started this series several weeks ago uh, that we call A Beautiful Mess, it's a study of a book in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. It was written by the Apostle Paul to uh, a group of Christians, a church in the city of Corinth. If you're not aware where Corinth is, that's okay. It's in the southern area of Greece. And the reason why it was written is because there was a woman by the name of Chloe. She writes the Apostle Paul a letter and says, Paul, the church that you planted and spent a couple years there getting it all set up, that church is totally out of control. And she was right. 
the church had division, they had infighting, uh, they had people that were suing each other, they even had a whole situation where people were getting drunk during communion, if you can believe that. Uh, it was a total mess. And so what Paul does, he writes them a letter talking about how a divided world needs a united church. And the key to being a united church is having what he calls the mind of Christ. And what does that mean? That means the mind of Christ is when we think about things the way Jesus thinks about things. It's when we speak in a way that is consistent with the character and nature of God, and we know what it is that God wants us to do. And so just to kind of catch you up, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are Paul dealing with all of the problems that are going on in this church. And then in chapter 7, he changes his focus, and he says, hey, now I want to deal with the questions that you have for me. And so from chapter 7 through the end of the book is him answering the questions that they had written to him about and Now, he puts at the very first, and we talked about this in our message last time, and we're going to drill down on this a little bit deeper, was he wants to talk about marriage and relationships first. Now, the reason he does is because you and I probably know this to be the case, right? Is that your life could be a complete mess right now. But if your marriage is strong, life is pretty good. Even if things aren't at optimal levels in every other area of life, you would still feel things are pretty good. But yet conversely, if your marriage is struggling, everything else could be running on all eight cylinders and you still can't enjoy any of it. And what Paul wants to do is really dive into this issue of priorities. And just FYI, spoiler alert, this is going to offend some of those in our culture that don't understand what our worldview is as Christians. But as we will learn, If we will make anything else other than God's kingdom our primary focus, we will miss both the kingdom and the thing that we're trying to focus on. Or I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you'll end up getting neither. So let's start in chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse 17 and here's what we read. He says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commands of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want to talk about priorities. And I want you to recognize three things. But the first is this when it comes to priorities, that nothing in your life is wasted in God's hands. Nothing in your life is wasted in God's hands. Now, I want you to understand what Paul is saying because there's a couple of things that can be really misunderstood, especially because one of them has to do with some buzzwords in our culture. But what Paul says, was anyone called while circumcised? That is obviously, he's saying, were you called when you were a Jewish person? That's why he says, don't try to become uncircumcised because physically, I'm not really sure how that works. But spiritually speaking, he's saying, listen, if you're Jewish, don't try to act like you're a Gentile. And he says, if you were uncircumcised, you know, that is you were Gentile, don't try to act Jewish because that, 
That's not what's important. It's keeping the commands of God that really matter. He's saying being Jewish or not being Jewish are not really the important thing. What matters is keeping the commands of God. And then he says the thing that gets riled, that gets people kind of riled up. And that is when he says, were you a slave when God called you? Don't make it a concern or literally don't let it be a matter that you defer to in your life, right? So he's saying, if you can be free, be free. That's great. But if you're, if you're a slave, listen, not, not the biggest deal in the world because guess what? If you're a slave, then you are free in Christ. And if you're free, by the way, then you're Christ's slave. And this is where people who have no understanding of the Bible but yet feel like they want to become experts uh, and say that they're experts in the Bible, they'll say, see, this is where the Bible is. Christianity is promoting slavery. And that is incorrect because Christianity is not promoting slavery. Because, and the, the other problem is, is that when we think of slavery, we think of slavery in America. But that's not the way it works in the Bible because we have to think of it in the context in which it was written. This is one of the biggest mistakes that people make with the Bible is interpreting words or phrases based on what they mean today and what, instead of what they were meant in the context in which they were written. It's what, if you've been around Calvary, I've talked about this before. I call this the Yankee Doodle principle. And uh, if you're familiar with the song Yankee Doodle, and uh, if you're, are you familiar with the song Yankee Doodle? I know some of you are from Cuba, and you're like, Yankee Doodle, que es eso? And, uh, and so, <laughs> sorry. So anyway, but Yankee Doodle, if you're familiar, Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony. He stuck a feather in his hat and called it macaroni. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, what is a Yankee? Well, a Yankee is a, Bayer, a, a baseball player in New York. So we know that he plays for the Yankees and he doodles. So this is an artist who's a professional baseball player. He rides on a pony. I think I know what a pony is. We're going to go with a small horse. And he rides into town uh, and, and he puts a feather in his cap and apparently wants to eat pasta for lunch. Okay, that's apparently what that means. Okay. Now, this is exactly what happens, by the way, when it comes to people saying, well, you know, the Bible promotes slavery. No, this is exactly like saying a New York Yankee player put a feather in his cap and wanted pasta. It's because we aren't defining the words based on what they meant. A Yankee, if you're not aware, by the way, the Yankee Doodle was written around the time of the Revolutionary War. So a Yankee at that time was a person who lived in the northern colonies. Now, he lived in the northern colonies. A doodle was a German word that was used around that time that meant someone who was a fool. So this is someone who is living in the, in the northern colonies who's not very bright. He puts a feather in his cap and he calls it macaroni. Now, what does that have to do with pasta? Nothing. Macaroni in the 18th century is a word that meant stylish. So based on everything that I've told you, does this have a very different meaning than someone who was a professional baseball player eating linguine? right? Totally different. But this is exactly what happens when people read the Bible without understanding the culture in which it was written. And it's certainly true when it comes to topics like slavery, because when we hear the word slavery, we immediately think, well, that involves people owning other people, and that was connected to race. Wrong on all counts. In the Jewish context in which Paul was writing, slavery was about repaying debt. When you borrowed money, 
you had to repay it. There was no Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. There was no Chapter 11 or Chapter 7 bankruptcy protection. You had a debt, you repaid it. And if you had nothing, no assets by which to repay the debt, then you said, hey, I guess I'm going to go work for you until I pay off this debt. Now, in the Jewish context, because God did not want this to get out of control, and by the way, it was for the protection of the person borrowing He said the max that you could be a slave was seven years and then you had to go free. So that limited the amount that the person could borrow because when a person was going to loan, they said, if all of this goes completely sideways, I'm going to get an employee that I don't necessarily need for the next up to seven years. So it's like, well, how about I only lend this amount? And that was, it was a protection for the people and it was to pay the debts. Why? So in the Roman context, Remember, a lot of these people weren't, there was, there was a, it, it, there was a, it was a smorgasbord of uh, cultures in Corinth. So, and it was, once again, we're talking about in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, in that context, every race of people had slaves and every race of people were slaves. In fact, the Roman Empire could be broken up into thirds. A third of the, in, the population of the Roman Empire were former slaves, A third of the population were current slaves, and a third of the population were Roman citizens. Slaves in the Roman Empire were paid. In fact, and many of them used that money to emancipate themselves. So it was not like what was practiced in the New World. And once again, and I'm not, once again, this is not like an argument for slavery. What what Paul is using this as is as an extreme example for the point that he's trying to make. And that is that no matter your status in life, no matter your situation or your circumstances, God can use you. Because, and by the way, this is true when Christianity began to spread throughout the Roman world. His point is, you know who the most likely person to reach a a slave with the gospel is? Another slave. You know who the most likely person today to reach a doctor is with the gospel? A doctor. You know who the most likely person to reach a lawyer with the gospel is? Another lawyer. And that's just the case. And that's the point that Paul is making is that whatever your station, situation, or circumstance in life, God wants to use it. And the point is, listen, I've had this conversation so many times with people who will tell me, I hate my job. I hate where I work. I'm the only Christian there. And, and I'll stop them for a second and say, okay, do you think that part matters? Like, I understand that, that it, can be, it can be a hostile environment, but could it be that you are the only light in a very dark place and the fact that you're the only light in a dark place means something? You see, one of the challenges that we have living in the city is that it's so hard to see the stars. Have you notice that? That it's like because there's so much light because once again, we live, we live in a metropolitan area. It's hard to see the stars. But listen, you go out to the middle of nowhere, right? You go to the middle of nowhere in Georgia or Tennessee or someplace like that. You don't need a telescope. You just look up and you start seeing all of these stars that you never saw before. Why? Because there's no other light. And could it be that the very thing that Paul is saying, and that is whatever your circumstance in life, the priority should be that we honor and reflect who God is is because it could be that he's placed you there for that very purpose because nothing in your life is wasted. 
when you want to make God your priority and serve him. Well, he's going to go on. He's going to drill down on this topic in a second. Look at what he says. He says, now concerning virgins, that is the unmarried, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Uh, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Another translation says, those who would get married will have trouble. You may want to underline that verse. So, I may have trouble for just saying that. So, <laughs> so my wife has that underlined and highlighted in her Bible. Um, and so, anyway, it says, but I say this, verse 29, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those who have none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you about priorities, and that is don't focus on lesser things and miss the main thing. Now, I want to remind you of something I said a couple of weeks ago, just in case you forgot and or were not paying attention. And that is when Paul says, I have no commandment from the Lord, but this is what I'm going to tell you. That does not mean well, I'm just kind of, this is just my thoughts on the matter. When, when Paul says, I have no commandment from the Lord, he's saying Jesus did not specifically talk about this issue in the Gospels. And so now he drills down on the same topic and says, so I'm going to tell you what, based on the Hebrew scriptures, I'm going to tell you what, what I believe in this state. And he says this, that based on times as they are, right? Time is short. And he says this, that you should stay in the state that God has call you, called you. He says, if you're married, that's great. If you're single, that's great. If you have kids, that's great. But don't seek those things as the ultimate priority in your life. He's saying the ultimate priority should be walking with God, honoring God, reflecting who he is. And by the way, if all of these good things happen in your life, that's great. But if you don't get married, that doesn't mean you've missed out on something. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But he talks about, because the time is short, these three realities that sometimes we obsess over that we shouldn't obsess over. So here's three. Here's number one. He says this, stop obsessing over relationships. That's why he says in verse 29, those who have wives should be as those who had none. What does that mean? That you should abandon your spouse, abandon your kids? No, obviously what he's saying is, is that you shouldn't obsess over your marriage and now that everything when it comes to honoring God takes a back seat. Now, the point that he's making, and I think that this is really the thing that we should drill down on, and it's, a, I believe, a secret to a great marriage. And you will see this every time you walk in the doors of Calvary. And the most astute amongst us have noticed that. And that is the strongest marriages in our church are couples who serve together. And listen, now that I've said it, maybe you'll notice it, but it is the absolute truth. 
Couples who serve together have less. Now, it doesn't say they have, don't have any problems, but they have less problems because they're not obsessing over each other. And I've, I've had this conversation over the years. You know, we'd love to serve. We just have these issues we need to deal with. And once we get through our issues, then we'll start serving. You know what I've learned about people who still have to, have to get over their issues? They always have issues. In fact, I find that the issues kind of multiply. And, but you know what happens? And listen. This is just a secret to a joy-filled marriage is when you make your marriage about more than just each other, you make it about honoring God, reflecting who he is and serving other people, something wonderful happens. You take the pressure off of each other and now there's just joy. Listen, Harvard, which as you know, is not the bastion of Christian thought, all right? But Harvard University wanted to drill down and do a study on marriage. And if 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that's a study that's gone around for a while, then what causes the other 50% to stay married? And here's what they discovered. Once again, Harvard University, not playing for Team Jesus, I think we can all agree. Okay, here's what they said. If you get just, if all you do is get married in a church, the percentage drops. But if you will attend church regularly, pray together, read the Bible together, serve in your local church, the number of someone who gets divorced is one in 1,105. Yeah, I like those odds a lot better than one out of two. And so I'm telling you, and this is the thing that Paul is saying, if you want more joy in your marriage than you think should be legally allowed, follow Paul's example and don't obsess over each other. Instead, decide we are going to honor God in our relationship and we're going to walk together. We're going to serve together. You will find that you will have way more joy. Second thing that he says, and by the way, these things are connected because he says those who are married should be as though they had none. Verse 30, he says those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Here's the second thing that he's saying. Stop obsessing over emotions. I'm not saying your feelings don't matter. But Paul is saying the secret to living well is to not make your feelings the ultimate thing in life. Have you noticed that we live in a world that is perpetually offended by everything? Have you maybe caught that, right? Right, everybody is offended by everything. And by the way, let me just give you a little tidbit here. Um, If the thing that offends you so much are ideas that are different than yours, you are not going to enjoy living in the world because you know what you're going to find is that lots of people hold lots of different views that are different than yours. And if, by the way, and by, this is the way our culture works, right? As we can agree on 99% of things, but that 1% we disagree on, now you are my enemy and must be destroyed. Like that just, like, I'm sorry, that, that, that boat ain't going to float for very long. It's just, it's just not, not going to work. And by the way, hiding behind a fence, oh, I'm so offended by that. That is a sign of a weak argument. Like, so if you're, well, why don't you like it? Well, it just offends me. Well, you got to have a better argument than that. Maybe you need to study a little bit more and understand your position and their position a little bit better, and it, it's going to go a, a, little, a little better for you. And uh, by the way, more on that next week because... We're going to talk about what happens when Christians disagree. Because by the way, you know the Christians disagree sometimes. Uh, godly people disagree on certain things, and that's okay. 
Um, we just have to learn how to be gracious uh, with one another because, my friends, cancel culture is not Christian. You know, Jesus doesn't cancel. You ever notice that? And by the way, if there, were, if there was anybody who could have canceled anyone, it was God canceling every stinking sinner who's causing him grief in this world. And you know what God does? He just decides to be incredibly gracious um, instead of canceling people. But anyway, I don't want to give away next week or you won't show up. So uh, we'll talk about that next time. But the key to, listen, when he talks about not obsessing over emotions, there's nothing wrong. Your emotions are God-given. And you've got to be aware of how you feel and acknowledge how you feel. The point is you cannot live there. When David was on the run from Saul, and some of you are familiar with the story that David was anointed to be king, and yet the problem is there was already a king, and so that guy didn't appreciate that very much, and so Saul's trying to kill David. He writes a psalm about what's happening in his life in Psalm 42 when he's hiding out, and this is what David says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's like David is saying to himself, dude, snap out of it. And then he encourages himself to take his focus off how he's feeling and the God who loves him. It's like, I'm going to stop thinking about how I feel and I'm going to start thinking about how God feels about me. And listen, where we get into trouble is when we make decisions solely based on how we feel. And this is the problem with feelings, right? And the problem with emotions. Isn't it amazing how you change how you feel about things all the time, right? You ever make a decision that was like totally based on emotion and that you immediately regretted, right? Some of us drove in the emotional decision that we immediately re regretted, right? Isn't that how w that works? Um, that's why I love this passage. I quote it all the time in Proverbs chapter 14. This is out of the message, but it says that a sound, body makes for, a sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. But listen, that means that emotional decisions that aren't based on truth end up hurting us. But you know what? We already know that. And we have all of these phrases, right, in our culture that explain that, right? Have you ever engaged in something called emotional eating? Right? Everyone has done emotional eating. You call your friend and you're like, hey, what are you eating? Oh, just Brussels sprouts and kale. And they're like, are you emotional eating? Like, no, because this tastes like death. Right? So, but if you call somebody up and like, what are you doing? I'm eating a pizza and some cake and I'm washing it down with a milkshake. Like, yo, you're doing some emotional eating. Because only emotional eating is when you eat 3,000 calories and then wash it down with a Coke Zero. And so, <laughs> that's a weird thing to do, by the way. I'm not saying I haven't done it. I'm just saying it's weird. <laughs> so, but listen, and, I, and that's not to say that, that how you feel doesn't matter. How you feel does matter. That just can't be the only factor because our emotions are just too fickle. Sometimes you got to tell your feelings to produce some facts. Like, this is how I feel. Why? Well, I just do. Well, just do isn't, isn't a fact. Produce some facts to acknowledge how you're feeling or we just kind of move on. All right, here's the third thing. And that's when he says here in, uh, in verse 31, uh, in verse 30 and 31, and he says, and those who buy as though they did not possess. In fact, I like it in the NIV where it says, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Last thing is stop obsessing over stuff. 
And by the way, this isn't a message about like it's, you know, oh, about the, the horror of owning nice things. By the way, nothing wrong with having nice things. The problem is when nice things own you, that's the difference. When I ran a college a million years ago, and I don't know if you know, some of you know this, that before planting Calvary, uh, I spent four and a half years running a Bible college. And uh, we had an intern whose name was Brian, and he was a good kid. But Brian had this car, like most college students, uh, that was a complete piece of junk. Well, one day, I don't know why, but I had to drive with him somewhere. And we had to take his car, unfortunately. And we got to the place. He didn't lock the door. And I told him, like, hey, man, this is kind of a questionable neighborhood. You may want to lock the door. And he goes, hey, man, this is God's car. If God wants someone else to have it, he can do that. And I'm thinking, well, that, <laughs> you might not be worse off. And, uh, well, anyway... So about a year later, Brian's parents buy him a new car. And I'm teaching a class. Uh, I would teach classes a couple nights a week. And so one night, I'm getting out. So it's like 10, 10.30. And I'm, dry, I'm walking out to the parking lot. And um, I hear like the alarm, the doot, doot, in the car, and the door unlock and uh, park next to my car. And it's Brian unlocking and unalarming, de-alarming, unalarming, disarming, whatever, taking the alarm off of his car. And I, so I waited for him and I'm like, hey man, alarms and locks? I thought your cars were gods. He's like, Pastor Bob, be reasonable. <laughs> Things have changed. And so now once again, and, and by the way, this isn't a message about, uh, you know, don't alarm your car. And, uh, you know, I alarm my car and my house and all of that because, you know, I have questionable neighbors. And, um, <laughs> but here's the point, right? The point is this, is people who buy as though they did not possess, right? As though like, hey, this time is short. That's the point that he's making. And I just love that, this idea of just, hey, you got some stuff, that's fine. Just hold it with a loose hand. You, you're going to own it, but don't let it own you. That's the thing that I love. Like, I, I love, and, and I, I like this probably more than the rest of my family. Like, I love going on vacation. I love staying at hotels. And, uh, and I think the reason I like hotels the most is because I just love coming back to where it is I'm staying and everything is clean and has not been destroyed by my children, right? Like I'm telling you, man, when Hurricane Mia, Xander, and Livy run through, they leave no, like nothing is left in its wake. Like things just get left out. Anyway, it's just, it's craziness. And so, but I just love coming back and you can just leave anything on the floor. It doesn't matter. You throw something in the garbage. I missed, huh? You know, you've done that. And you're like, oh, wow, look, I threw it out. No, you just threw it on the floor. Same thing. And so anyway, I'm one of those crazy people. So anyway, shouldn't let me stay at your place. And, um, but you know, you know what I've never, in all the times that I've been out of town and whatever, you know what I've never done and never seen? Someone who's staying in a hotel saying, I just can't even look at this art one more day and bought new art for the room. I'm like, man, this bed is just killing me. I'm glad I got the bed getting delivered tomorrow. Like, no, nobody does that. You know why? Because they say, hey, look, I'm going to use all this stuff, but I'm just passing through because this isn't my ultimate home. And that's the thing that Paul is saying. He says, listen, just don't make stuff your focus because your home is the kingdom of God. And when that becomes your focus, you know what happens? You have this ability to kind of enjoy everything that you have without any of it owning you. And it becomes very, very 
freeing. And then he goes on in verse 32, and this is where we're going to draw it to a close. Here's what he says. But I want you to be without care or literally anxiety. For he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I say this for your profit, not that I might put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of youth, and, and thus it must be, let, her do, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. He who gives her in marriage does well. And he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry whomever she wishes. By the way, if your wife has that verse underlined, I would be worried. And uh, <laughs> sorry. I didn't say that in the first service. I just, I'm just speaking that to somebody here. Somebody's like, I'm going to check that when I get home. I don't know what my wife is plotting. So anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but only in the Lord. Uh, she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the spirit of God. Now, Last thing I want to tell you, and that is that nothing should come before my commitment to Jesus. Now, there are, sometimes we look at people, and let me tell you, this is just important in, in church in general, because sometimes we look at people who are single and we think, wow, they aren't married. Something must be wrong. And Paul says, no, that's not right. There's nothing wrong with being single, and conversely, there's nothing wrong with being married. Neither is more spiritual than the other. The only caveat that he makes is he says, listen, the single person just has more freedom to serve the Lord because they don't have the same commitments that the married person does. And so Paul's here is focusing the Corinthians and challenging them to keep the right priorities so we don't lose focus on that which is most important because your life will ultimately consist of the commitments that you make. Because by the way, you only get three options in your life. You can waste your life, spend your life, or invest your life. That's it. Wasting your life is when you give your life to destructive things, addictive things that will ultimately ruin you. And once again, I think we're all in agreement there. But spending your life is a little different. It's, where you, it's not where you're necessarily doing like the bad things, but it's, it's where you spend your life and you give the best years of your life to things that just don't matter. But investing your life is when you give your, your life to the things that matter most, when you put God first and align everything in your life after that, aligning all of it with God's will. Listen, things work out better than if you had focused on those things alone. Listen, I have had the privilege over the years to spend time with people on their last day. And I hope, if you never have, that you get an opportunity to spend time with someone on their last day. Just by nature of what I do, I've spent a lot of time with people, sitting with them, mostly in hospitals, on their last day. Where they're going to leave planet Earth and step into eternity. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more sobering about the decisions that you're making in your life. 
than when you, what the conversation you have with someone on their last day. I'm telling you, nobody cared what model iPhone they had, what year car they drove. But what they're asking themselves the question is not, did I waste my life? But they're saying, did I spend it or did I invest it? Those are the questions that they're asking. And I'm telling you, my heart breaks for every time I've sat with someone who has just wept saying, Pastor Bob, I gave my whole life to things that didn't matter. And you know, it's not that the people who did, who invested their life had no regrets, right? Nobody has no regrets, but they had way fewer because they knew that they had done the thing God had created them to do. They had loved the Lord, served him with a whole heart. They had served and loved their family well, and now they're leaving a legacy. And listen, and once again, I don't say this to bum you out. I say this because the, the time to think about that is not on your last day. The time to think about that is long before you ever get there to make sure that day isn't miserable. Instead, it's a day of rejoicing and thanksgiving that I had one life to give and I gave it to something that mattered to do the thing that Paul said, I'm going to put God first. And when I did, all these other things that were important to me were added as well and fell into place. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise that if we put the kingdom first, we put you first, all these other things would be added to us. And so God, that's our hope. That's our prayer. Help us to order our steps in a way so that when we get to our last day, it's a day of giving thanks for all that you've done. God, that's our hope. Help us to think about these things soberly. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.